Well, like uh, Elder Bob has already said, and we've confessed in the worship service together, we're going to be considering the sixth and final petition in the Lord's Prayer this morning, a plea for deliverance. If you consider everything that we've studied thus far in the Lord's Prayer, a plea for deliverance is actually probably the most realistic thing that we could end the prayer on. The Lord's Prayer takes for granted that we are surrounded by trial and by temptation. Even if you haven't been with us throughout this entire series, just think about what we just prayed. We have prayed for God's name and God's kingdom and God's will to reign everywhere. And that implies that there's spiritual competition in the world, that there are places where people do not bend the knee to God. We've asked that God would provide for all of our physical needs, and that implies that in the world there is hunger, there is lack, there is poverty and want, there is suffering. We've asked for God to give us the strength to forgive other people, which implies that we've been wounded, that we ourselves have been hurt by others, and we've asked for God to forgive us for our sins. That implies that we have had a hand in this whole mess. The picture that the Lord's Prayer paints for us is a church that is assailed from outside and from within by all sorts of various trials and temptations. It's a church that craves God and yet struggles to hold fast to him. A church that wants God but struggles to trust him. It sounds a lot like our experience, doesn't it? sounds a lot like the real world. Just look at the headlines. Every week, it seems like there's a new challenge to Christianity. We're confronted with suffering all around the globe. We see rampant injustice in our society and in the entire world. We hear stories of Christians who have fallen in their temptation and struggle with sin. And if you don't look at the world, you can just look at our own hearts. These larger trends that, that are out there, they play out every day in our own heart. Those trends are mirrored in our own lives as we struggle to trust God, even in the midst of our own smaller trials. And so it makes sense that the final request in Jesus' model prayer is for deliverance. But deliverance from what? And for what purpose and how? These are pretty important questions. Everyone can agree that we need help of some sort, but not everyone can agree on exactly what kind of help we need. And so to answer this well, we need God's input. This morning, we're going to be looking at deliverance from God's point of view. What is God's perspective What is God's priority? What is God's plan? When we get God's perspective, when we see his point of view on our need for deliverance, we see that our expectation for deliverance is usually pretty short-sighted. We can get fixated on temporal deliverance. But this morning, God is offering something much greater. For God, deliverance is about entrance into his presence Deliverance is about gaining God. So let's hear now how Jesus teaches us how to pray. This will be the last time that we look at this text in our study of the Lord's Prayer. And so I invite you to now turn your attention with me to God's Word as Jesus teaches us how to pray from Matthew chapter 6. 
beginning in verse 9. This is God's holy and perfect word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, thus far in the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, we need deliverance this morning. We need your intervention into our lives. Uh, but already, uh, we, we see some conflict, maybe between our desire for deliverance and what exactly you're offering us in this majestic prayer. Even now, all of us are assailed with various doubts and trials and distractions. And so, Lord, we pray now for your spirit. Please, even now, deliver us from evil. Please, even now, give us your spirit of illumination so that you would work through your word preached and so that this time now in your presence even would be the act of deliverance that we need. God, conform us to yourself. We need you. So we look to you. Be with us. Illumine your word through your spirit and lift us up to you. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. In everyday life, it's easy for us to overlook big problems because sometimes we can get distracted by smaller problems. Uh, if you, you hear some sort of mysterious rattling in your car, uh, maybe you take it into the shop because you are con convinced that that rattling is the thing that is the problem, but maybe when the mechanic lifts under the hood, there's actually a much deeper problem than just some rattling going on. A much deeper problem that if that problem doesn't get fixed, the car will be rendered completely inoperable. And so, again, at, at some point in time, it might be helpful to fix the rattle, but there's a much more grave problem facing your vehicle at that point in time. And in our lives, it's like that. It's easy for us to become fixated on what ultimately are smaller, less significant problems than the problem that God has in mind. And so when we come to God looking for deliverance, or even more particularly, when God tells us this morning, ask me for deliverance, we should wonder what exactly does God have in mind when he says, ask me for deliverance. In God's perspective, our main need, the very thing that is facing us, the most grave trial that we have, it's a spiritual need. In God's perspective, we need spiritual deliverance. So let's unpack spiritual deliverance from God's perspective. According to God, our main battle is with sin. When God looks at the landscape of our lives, he sees everything that we face. 
He sees every trial that we come against, every temptation that faces us, every decision that we have to make throughout the day. God sees everything. And when he looks at the entirety of our lives, he sees one main conflict, our battle with sin. So he tells us, lead us not into temptation. That's the prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Another way that we could translate this verse is don't lead us into a time of trial where we will stumble. That's the focus. The possibility of us stumbling, the main concern here is about sin and our holiness. In God's eyes, all of life is a testing ground for that one thing, our faith. And so we pray for deliverance so that we won't sin. Our main battle is against sin. But if you're like me, that's kind of a hard perspective to adopt. Think about your life. What is the biggest trial that you face right now? What is the biggest temptation or test that you face? It might be a work situation. Or it might be a tough neighborhood or household or cultural dynamic. It could be a relationship that's collapsing. Some old sin that has reared its head and haunts you. Some form of loneliness or regret. What is that one trial? And then ask yourself, what's at the heart of that trial? What makes it particularly challenging for you? And often at the heart of the trial for us, it's a desire for comfort a desire for convenience. I don't like trials in life because they wreck my sense of comfort. We're usually concerned with comfort, not with holiness. I, if I were to write my ideal prayer, I would write something like, don't lead me into discomfort. But God says, ask me for deliverance because your main battle is with sin. Tim Keller gave me words for that this week. As many of you may know, Tim Keller is a prominent pastor and leader in our denomination, the PCA, and Tim Keller has cancer. And so people will say things like, Tim Keller is fighting cancer. But here's what Tim Keller has to say about it. Keller says, I'm not fighting cancer, I'm fighting my sin. If it wasn't for my sin, I would be completely resting in Christ." And the resurrection would be spiritually real to me, and I would be fine spiritually and emotionally in every way. In other words, his holiness is more important than his health. It sounds like God's perspective in this text and throughout the Bible, and it's the same for you. Your main battle in life is sin. Also, your main enemy in life is Satan. Let's just look at the the second part of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Save us from trial where we might stumble, but deliver us from evil. Or as some translations have it, the evil one. Evil, the evil one. whatever, Whatever way you translate it, it's pointing to the same thing. Our primary spiritual opposition, our main enemy, the personal spiritual evil behind all evil in the world, and that is Satan. Satan is our main enemy. Now, a lot of people, and maybe even you struggle to 
identify or believe in some sort of entity that we call the devil. Some people in our culture, a lot of people will, will write about it or talk about it. They'll say there's actually no such thing as Satan. Uh, there's no such thing as the devil. When the Bible talks about evil or the evil one, it's just simply code for all of humanity's dark tendencies, uh, all of our hatred, all of our insecurity and greed and anger all rolled up into one personification that's just easy to call the devil or the evil one. But that's a deeply problematic view of things. It's a deeply problematic thing for us to deny the devil's existence for at least two reasons. Uh, the first is that if we deny the existence of Satan, we risk confusing evil behavior with the source of evil. As we go through life, we all experience evil behavior and the consequences of evil behavior on us, whether it's acts of racism or hatred or harassment or injustice or malice. All of these things are wrong. They are evil, but we cannot confuse these evil behaviors with the source of evil itself. When we do that, then people become the source of evil. And then we begin to treat them that way. We begin to treat other people as if they themselves are the devil. We begin to dehumanize them. We refuse to forgive them. We refuse to pray for them because they are under bondage to the devil. We refuse to pray for them when we deny the existence of of the devil. And when we do that, the only enemy that we can point to is other people. Someone else is our main enemy. And then our real enemy, the tempter, is happy to sit back and watch us consume and destroy each other. Also, when we deny the existence of the devil, we cannot be aware of his schemes. He has, uh, he has uh, a, a one-up on us at that point in time. Like Kevin Spacey says in The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. If he has convinced you that he doesn't exist, then you cannot be aware of what he is planning against you. Our enemy is a terribly crafty adversary, and if we deny his existence, we cannot be prepared for his spiritual attacks. And so God helpfully calls our attention to our main enemy. It's the devil. It is Satan. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the power of the evil one. And that leads us to God's perspective of our main problem. Our main problem in God's mind is our spiritual weakness. Our spiritual weakness is our main problem. If our main battle is against sin and our main enemy is Satan himself, then on our own we have no hope of victory First Peter describes the devil like a wild lion who is walking around just, just seeking to destroy people. This is a terrifying enemy. He is far more powerful than we are. The scriptures compare sin to shackles that keep us in bondage. Our only hope in our battle against sin and our enemy, our only hope is if God delivers us from temptation, from the tempter. 
That's why we pray, deliver us from evil, because we can't do it ourselves. That word deliver is a really cool word. It's a very powerful word. It's a very active word. We're calling on God to snatch us. That's what you can think about. Uh, Snatching something from the jaws of destruction, that's what it means to deliver us. It's very powerful and active. If I am grilling hot dogs on a grill, uh, and in my sort of rolling the hot dogs over so that they get cooked evenly, one of them falls into the fire, I move quickly. I snatch the thing from the fire so that it doesn't get destroyed. And in the same way, we are begging God to snatch us from the jaws of the evil one, the one who would seek to destroy us before we get crushed. We're asking God to help us because we are vulnerable. We are weak. This is God's perspective. Our main battle is sin. Our main enemy is Satan. And our main problem is our weakness. Again, that's a pretty different perspective than the one that we probably usually have. Our main battle is comfort and convenience. Our main enemy is someone else. Our main problem is their sin and the things that they are doing to us. But let's say that God gave us deliverance from those things. Let's say that God gave us an easy, smooth, and successful life. Even then, we would still have spiritual problems. Our fundamental plight is spiritual. We need spiritual deliverance. And that's what this prayer teaches. Save us from an intense trial because our faith is at risk. Keep us safe from the effects of evil behavior so that we can live dignified lives that can glorify God. Save us from the effects of evil so that our, so that our, our faith is intact, so that we are not tempted to doubt God's goodness and especially snatch us from Satan's grasp because he is a terrible foe. That is the essence of this prayer. Save our faith. Why does God care about our holiness? Why is spiritual deliverance more important than physical deliverance? Doesn't God care about our physical issues? Well, of course he does. He authorized a prayer for our physical needs. He told us, pray for our daily bread, but he doesn't stop there. He goes beyond our mere physical needs. He has a more grand plan in mind than solving just our physical issues. God's priority throughout the scriptures is restoring our relationship with him. That's what God's priority is. He wants to restore our relationship with him. He wants to restore us to his presence so that we can experience his glory, experience his splendor. His motivation for our holiness is rooted in his deep love for us. He wants to give us the gift of himself. And so when he tells us to pray for spiritual deliverance, it's because he knows that being in his presence is the one thing that we need. It was the one thing that we were created for and that we need. Again, this requires an attitude adjustment, doesn't it? We generally can't fathom how holiness is better than health. It sounds crazy to our ears to say something like, I'm not fighting cancer, I'm fighting sin. None of this makes sense unless God really is as good as he says he is. 
Look at how the Bible describes God. God, in the scriptures, in his word, this is who he tells us he is. And God is an immense, powerful, personal being of unimaginable goodness and beauty. God's compassion is far greater than the compassion of the most tender parent. God's covenantal love for his people is far more passionate than the passionate love of the most committed spouse. God radiates life and light and joy, and he is interested in giving that to you. God wants to give his presence to you so that you would experience his splendor and his joy. Now, if you're outside, let's say you're outside on a night maybe kind of like tonight is probably going to square up to be. It's going to be freezing cold and very dark. And if you're outside in a freezing cold and very dark night, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a tiny flashlight and maybe a hand warmer, or would you rather be near a blazing bonfire? The answer to that is simple. You would rather be near the blazing bonfire. That bonfire is going to exude far more heat, far more light than just a simple hand warmer. And when God tells you that your holiness is better than your comfort, it's like that. It's like a flashlight to a blazing fire. God knows he can provide you more joy, more life, more abundance, and more satisfaction than mere health and comfort. Spiritual deliverance is ultimately more important. It is better for us than physical deliverance because being close to God is the best thing for us. If you spend time with Christians who have really suffered, they will agree with that. They may have experienced terrible loss, but in the midst of that loss, they experienced God more than ever before. I have talked with people who can give that amazing testimony of being closer to God in times of trial because he is so kind to us. Listen to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is obviously written in the context of some sort of strife because it begins, preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, again, in the midst of trial, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. To the eyes of faith, the valley of suffering is also a place of blessing. Because in the valley, God brings you to himself. He draws you close. Psalm 27 says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. So God is drawing you near, even in trial, and maybe especially through trial. Now, I know that that is a hard truth. Given the amount of suffering that we see in the world, given the amount of suffering that you personally may have experienced, that is a hard truth, but it is true. Sin is the worst thing because it separates us from God, who is the best thing. When we suffer, the chief doubt, or the chief danger is doubt. The chief danger is that we would turn away from God. It's not pain. Again, doubt drives us away from God, but pain brings us near to God. 
Here's Psalm 27 again. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Again, that's a cry for deliverance. It is a cry for help. And what is God's answer to that cry for deliverance? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Here is God's response. You have said, seek my face. God's answer to our cry for help is, come near to me. God's priority is restoring our relationship with him. And when we have that in mind, we have an additional motivation to our prayer for spiritual aid. Save us from temptation. Because I don't want to turn my back on my loving father who sent his son to die for me. Deliver us from the evil one because we don't want to abandon the God we love. We want to be in your presence, O God. We want to seek your face. And we're not strong enough to do it alone. We need a deliverer. And thankfully, God gives us one. God gives us his son. This has been God's plan all along to deliver us through Christ. Again, that is God's plan. Here's how Jesus Christ is the answer to this prayer for deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus answers that. First, Jesus answers that by defeating our enemy, the devil. As terrifying an enemy as Satan is, he is no match for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus explains the significance of his ability to cast out demons. People have been coming to him and saying that maybe he casts out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, no, 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 let me, let me tell you something. No one can enter a strong man's house and rob him unless he first binds up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Now, if you're going to bind up a strong man, you better be stronger than the strong man, right? So Jesus was strong enough to bind up the strong man, our enemy, the devil. And once that strong man was bound, Jesus plundered his house. Jesus went into the house of Satan and he delivered us from our spiritual bondage to our enemy. He delivered us from slavery to sin. He made us sons and daughters of God. Jesus defeats the devil. He is much stronger than the devil. He is so victorious that he is even victorious over Satan in his death on the cross. Here's how Paul describes Satan's defeat in Colossians 2. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them In Christ, and in the context of Colossians, that triumphal moment happened on the cross. In his death, Jesus disarmed Satan. In his resurrection, Jesus announced Satan's complete and utter downfall. And when Jesus comes again, he will give the finishing blow. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus has defeated Satan. So we can pray, deliver us from evil with great confidence because Jesus already has. He has already defeated our enemy. So we can be confident. But we also need to be careful This confidence that we have can't lead us into folly. Satan cannot rule over us as Christians. Jesus has destroyed Satan's rule over us, but Satan can still 
harm us. And that might sound like I'm saying sort of two things at once, that Jesus has defeated Satan, but Satan can still do some damage. He's still a threat to us. So how is that possible? How are both of these things true? Well, think of it this way. Someone who has a mortal wound can still do some damage in battle. Uh, A knight uh, with, with armor can be severely wounded and still damage someone who has no armor on at all. Satan has a mortal wound. Jesus has crushed his head, but if we are not ready, he can still damage us by lying to us and by tempting us into sin. And so here's how we should view our enemy. In light of Christ's victory, we should view our enemy with humble caution. He is mortally wounded, but we don't taunt him. We avoid him whenever we can, and when we come up against our foe, we rely exclusively on our deliverer. Jesus will save us. So we pray, deliver us from evil. Jesus will save us, and he'll strengthen us. That's another aspect of Christ's deliverance. Christ strengthens us against sin. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. That Lord is Jesus. Paul says, be strong in Jesus and the power of Jesus' might. Well, how do we be strong in Jesus? How can we take up his strength? We take up his strength by prayer. Even this prayer that Jesus gave us for deliverance. So when you're suffering and when you're tempted to grumble against God or doubt his goodness or lash out at other people in your pain, Or when you are tempted by sin, when you feel that temptation wash over you like an awful wave, pray. Rely on the strength of Jesus by praying, don't lead me into temptation, please. Save me from this time of trial. Snatch me from the power of the evil one. Save my faith, Lord Christ. And as you pray... As you turn to God in your moment of weakness and need, as you do that, you will find yourself wanting to resist. When you pray this bold prayer for deliverance, the Spirit will strengthen your heart, and you will want to be more holy. You will want to fight against sin. Jesus strengthens us by giving us this prayer and by answering it when we cry out to him. And remember, this prayer isn't just for you. It's, it's for us. It's for the whole church. The church is tempted and tried. Christians around the world suffer great trial and temptation. You look at church leaders. Church leaders are tempted, and we've seen horrible stories of church leaders falling in temptation, doing terrible things, hiding behind their credentials, and having other church leaders uh, shelter them. It's, it's a great tragedy in our church. Everywhere we look, Christians are tempted. Uh, we we are, are exposed to great spiritual trial. We're tempted to give up on good doctrine and embrace bad doctrines. We're tempted to embrace bad beliefs, bad practices. Temptation assails us. The church needs deliverance. And so when you pray for yourself, please also pray for the church. Pray for church leaders throughout the world. 
that church leaders wouldn't fall into temptation. Pray, please pray for the elders of this church. Please pray for me as you pray for yourself and then pray for the rest of the church. Pray for all Christians throughout the world that they would be strengthened to resist sin in Christ's power. That they, when they undergo trial, would be saved from doubting God's goodness in the face of pain. But here's the good news. According to the scriptures. The very scripture that compares Satan to a roaring lion also says this, when you resist the devil, he will flee. And Jesus gives you strength to resist the devil. Jesus strengthens us against our battle with sin. And what's more, Christ is actually with us in our suffering. Jesus is with you when you suffer. Spiritual warfare hurts. Suffering hurts. Temptations hurt. Trials hurt. Jesus knows this more than anyone. And so he's compassionate. He comforts us in our suffering by giving us his presence. John Piper says this, through suffering, we are meant to go deeper in our relationship with Christ. Through suffering, we are meant to go deeper in our relationship with Christ. Remember Psalm 27, in the time of trial, God draws you near. These here are Jesus' words. He is teaching us how to pray, and he gives you these words for your time of trial. He is with you in your suffering. He gives you his very spirit to comfort you in your suffering. Jesus is with you when you suffer. This is how comprehensively Jesus delivers us. How much grand and strong he is than our enemy, uh, the devil. Even in our suffering, Jesus gives us access to God. Christ is our deliverer. He has defeated our enemy. He strengthens us against sin, and he is with us in suffering. So how can this prayer transform your encounter with trial and temptation this week? Uh, We need to take up everything that God tells us in his word. First, you need to embrace God's perspective on your trial. Embrace God's perspective on your trial. There is more to your trial than meets the eye. Whatever it is, you will be tempted to interpret your troubles according to your desire for comfort or stability or prestige, but God wants you to interpret your trials spiritually. Here's what's really at stake. Are you going to respond sinfully to this trial, or are you going to respond faithfully? That's the heart of the trial. Embrace God's perspective. And second, embrace God's priority. Embrace God's priority. Here's what he is up to. He wants to restore your relationship with him. God wants you to experience his comfort, his peace, his glory, his joy. It's not enough for God to simply just remove the earthly obstacle and then let you be on your way. He wants you. He wants to bring you to him. And so embrace that. Instead of resisting or resenting the trials that you face, lean into them, expecting to experience God and expect God to use you as a witness to others. You are not the only one that God wants fellowship with. God wants fellowship with your neighbor, 
or your coworker, or your classmate. He wants to draw them to himself too. And so as you experience intimacy with God through your suffering, others will see it. And others will know with crystal clarity exactly how good God is. And so expect your trial to lead to spiritual growth for yourself and, Lord willing, for someone else's faith as well. That is part of embracing God's priority. And then third, embrace God's plan. Embrace God's plan, Jesus is your deliverer. Whatever you're up against, Jesus is your deliverer from spiritual, uh, from all of your spiritual ailments. He has already answered this prayer for deliverance by crushing our enemy. And then he gives you his, his spiritual strength for our times of trial. And then in trial, he gives us himself. He gives us his presence. He transforms these moments of pain into opportunities to know him. So that's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us this week. We need deliverance from sin and evil so that we can have God, and God gives us this deliverance through Christ. And so whenever you encounter trial or temptation this week, embrace God's perspective, embrace God's priority, and embrace God's plan by praying, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. God will answer that. God will deliver you from evil. It might not be the exact evil that you think, but he will deliver you. Your situation may change or it may not, but God will give you what you need. He will give you Christ. And in Christ, you have full deliverance. You have the very presence of the living God. Let's pray. Father, what a grand message of deliverance you've given us in your word. What a powerful prayer to save us from trial. Deliver us, O oh God. So we take this prayer up on our lips even now with joy and expectation. Thank you for crushing the head of our enemy. Thank you for freeing us from sin and free us further still. Free us from temptation. Free us from trial, not simply so that we can be comfortable because then we'll forget you, but save us from these things so that our faith doesn't fail. Make us crave holiness so that we can have your presence. Give us your perspective. And we do pray for the entire church, oh God. We pray for those who are suffering deeply. We pray that they would be saved from this trial so that they would turn to you in faith. Please preserve the faith of your church. Preserve the faith of your church across the world, the persecuted church, the church that is under trial and temptation and hunger and need. Oh God, deliver us from evil. Let Satan have no foothold in our hearts, our households, and our lives and be glorified as, as you do this, as you deliver us. Help us to taste your presence, O oh Lord, we pray. And with thankful hearts, in the name of Christ, amen.